you burn a candle for me on a daily basis, sage, you thank all the ancestors and the gods that I came into your life. And I wish you'd stop denying it. I think the power just went out in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Creator heard that lie so fucking fast. You just started unplugging shit. Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we have with us the amazing Jenny McGinn. She is smart, she is irreverent, and she is so, so, so generous. You are really going to want to listen in because she's going to help talk to us about keeping our values and keeping the lights on at the same time. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. So, Delma, we've been doing pretty good recording every other week and so last so that i'm asking you how are you doing between this week and last week it's not like there was a big chunk of time in between when we last recorded what's what's in your heart what's in your head um rita and i sat down virtually and watched the last republican debate and uh (laughs) i don't know that i could say anything that hasn't already been said somewhere else and probably better but um i i think the probably the biggest thing for me how we think of strength how much that has shifted so what it means to be a strong debater in my lifetime has shifted a lot and the lack of civility in the way that's equated with strength now right like I'm gonna talk over you we're gonna talk over each other we can't hear each other talking anymore and it goes on for like 30 seconds 45 seconds a full minute because neither one of us wants to relinquish or back down or, right? And so the difference between how we tell our young people to engage with one another while simultaneously putting at the forefront of our leadership, like I think about what kids have seen um, in the last, I don't know, 10 years, and the distance between how we tell them they should behave and what they see us as adults doing on national television. The hypocrisy has always been there. It's just more visible, I think, now. You know? Um, The fact that the distance between the way Obama, for instance, conducted himself on television and in debates and in public gatherings, the distance between that and what we saw from Trump. And that's what leadership looks like. Would you go so far as to say, um, think of, is there has there ever been an elected Republican you've respected who actually exhibits the level of civility, to use your words, and or listening skills that 
um, you would do a comparison? Because I can understand maybe some of our listeners being like, that's a that's a false comparison. You can't really compare a President Obama to an asshole Trump because mm-hmm. it's too extreme. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to point out the extreme. I also think it's germane to point out the fact that they're back-to-back presidents. Mm. I think that matters. Okay. Right. But to your question, um, everybody... Look, let me put it this way. Trump was so fucking nuts. I missed W. Missed him. Yeah. That's saying a lot. That, I agree. That's what I'm asking. You, <laughs> you know what, what I mean? Asking. Yes, I do. That's what that's, I'm asking. Like, that's saying a lot. For George? Were you, you know when you miss bad. Georgie Boo? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're like, you know, maybe Reaganomics wasn't that bad. Maybe Reagan was an okay guy. You know, like when you start thinking thoughts like that, Right. But, you know, I'm just I'm watching the debates and, um, you know, Tim Scott is up there talking about how government welfare was, you know, worse for black folks than slavery ever was. And everybody's talking about law and order. And the guy who's not on stage with you, who still holds a commanding lead, has 91 counts against him right now. And nobody talks about that you know it's like um or they talk about it but they don't know how to actually leverage what they're saying when they're talking about it it's almost um entertainment and i've heard people on the left and the right mourn what they see as like the um, the deconstruction of democracy and this idea that we're somehow at a pivotal point in terms of the fragility of democracy that we've never been, and I would disagree wholeheartedly. Um, This country has always wanted to make sure that democracy for white men was held in place. And we've always had moments of peril anytime a particular group other than white men have pushed for and made gains in regards to access to the ballot and we fought a war over this shit we fought a war over this shit like as fucked up as shit is now we ain't out in the streets yet shooting at each other which is what exactly the fuck we were doing you know in 1860s and so um this this democracy has always been fragile and its fragility has always been rooted in the idea that it was only set aside for certain a very small group of people. And so anytime there's a perception that other people are starting to make gains, there's always a backlash. There's always this point where the rules don't apply anymore. What the Republicans are doing now, the Democrats were doing in the 1860s, um, right up until, what, the 1960s? when things kind of switched parties, right? And the Dixiecrats in the South become the modern day Republicans. So um, I don't think things are really that different, mm. honestly. Um, but as long as you believe the myth that the North won the Civil War, then maybe you, maybe this takes you by surprise. But right. Right. if you could see through that, then you already know this is, this is nothing new. Yeah. I wonder, and I say this almost jokingly, but you were talking about what is modeled for our youth. Mm-hmm. I feel pretty confident most youth are not watching the Republican debate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I actually take um, solace in that. 
But what they are watching are all the fucking memes, the Fox News snippets, the, you know, all the social media fuck out there, which makes light of this criminal. Mm-hmm. I think what Trump, Trump's example does is it ends up filtering down to your football coach. It ends yes. up filtering down to your father. Yes. It ends yes. up filtering down to your local um, school board leaders, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, your local so, criminals in the making, in mm-hmm. some of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's where I think it ends up impacting our young people. Not because you're absolutely right. They're not watching the Republican debate. Um, but the vitriol that we now think of as like the norm more and more at that level, right? Because you're supposed to represent the best of what we collectively have to offer. And so that's where the bar is now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, Yeah, yeah. So that's that's been on my mind lately. Um, I don't have any predictions around it. I don't have any. You know, I'm still trying to make meaning of it as as we go. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, what's going on with you? Yeah, well, um, all of the good things that I talked about the last episode are still very present, which good. is is I'm happy about. Um, mm-hmm. I just got off a two-hour conversation with my son Gabe Um, and it's just so beautiful to watch this person become a a full functioning adult in the world Mm. and to hear Mm -hmm. hear him invite lessons back to me which which is cool I mean I am hemorrhaging money right now for like family needs but also trying to set this retreat center up and he was like, careful, mom, careful, mom. Like, don't fall into scarcity. Like, and I'm all, who is this child? Who mocked me when I would say shit like that, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who is this kid? That, and, and he says it just with such kindness that, um, I don't know, my heart just swells. So I just, that, that's, that's um, really fresh on my mind because I just talked to him for a couple hours. He um, works for this amazing org called Native Lifelines. And so he's going over, and he's in Boston, so he's going over to Harvard right now to help um, at their powwow. And so he's nice. you know, living this beautiful life, and it's it's pretty amazing to watch. Um, what I what I've been what's been top of mind this whole week, Delma, you and I have a mutual colleague who is on one of our um, uh, contracts that we work with. He's is on one of our teams. He's not part of the agency that we work for, but he's a a, a subject matter expert. Sure. Um, And what we like to do, for those of you who are listening, if we have team members who aren't sort of really fully enfolded into, like, our team, that know that, like, we'll have virtual coffees with them and one-on-one to get to know them. Well, this person um, said, you know, I've been listening to the podcast, which Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've got a lot of crossover in those worlds. (laughs) Like, I feel like my friends and friends of like my beloved community kind of listens to it and their friends do, but not in that world. And I was a little bit taken aback. And he said, so here's my question, because I've seen you present on to our internal team on equities praxis and examine your tools and all the, you know, the stuff that we do trying to train up our, um, our, our team, build capacity on our team. He was like, 
That Shandine is very different than the Dive and Justice Shandine. Interesting. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And what it, what it reminded me of a little bit, and this is going to sound extreme, and I don't mean it to be extreme, so I'll, I'll try to bring us back. But I was watching this show called Made in Heaven, um, and it's uh, about these it's two wedding planners in India. And it's not about wedding planners. They're using the, the, the show's um, premise is using wedding planning as proxy to talk about love and relationship and mm-hmm. and uh, also w- like during the time that it was illegal to be gay in India and so I was talking about all this stuff well anyway one of the characters sorry spoiler alert one of the characters um, gets addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and like uh, cocaine or meth or something whatever it doesn't matter and one of his co-workers says to him this like you haven't been yourself this isn't yourself and he was like this actually is me also and it's, I'm thinking about, and I was talking to, you know, my sister Jenny this morning. She's like, the shades of human, what are the shades of Shandine? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean that you're allowed to bring certain aspects of that to some places and not others? And what's the cost? What does it mean to sort of segment yourself? And and when, you know, our colleague Lee was like, the, the, the DIJ Shandine is not the DIJ Shandine when you're like holding space for people and presenting. And I get it. There's some responsibility you have. But now fast forward it to what I did on Thursday, which um, I, I, for the, I got my first ever local contract because I moved back home. And mm-hmm. you know, all the work that I'm doing is nationally. This is I am facilitating representatives from all of the tribal nations in New Mexico as someone who is, you know, I am a member of Laguna Pueblo. I am a Chicana from New Mexico living in my neighborhood where I grew up and I've been gone for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Plus, more than 20. I don't want to age myself in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> who, which Shandine shows up there? I want to be as authentic as possible and their protocols. There's also um, levels of respect. There's there also like what is I'm also in, like an employee of the state, if you like, kind of because I'm there. You know, they've hired me to come and do this because they wanted an indigenous consultant doing this work. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling with what is authentic. <laughs> yeah. That's the ultimate. What's am I inauthentic when I show up and facilitate a way that's not the way I show up here? I think showing up here, I'm almost my most authentic because this is what we're trying to do. I'm not totally because you're still pushing me to actually keep revealing the layers and the vulnerability and to get under it all so that we can show people humanity is okay and it's all right to have shades of ourselves. that I even have an answer or I have a um, that I've come to some sort of conclusion around it but I think I struggle with what my father would always ask the questions like is there honor in that is there integrity in that and whatever the thing is and so I'm asking myself is there honor or lack of honor in, in, in the splicing of ourselves in the work that we do and what is my responsibility to that 
know. I don't have a... I wish I had come to some final conclusion on it, except one thing that I... Interestingly, which doesn't feel like a parallel, but it's been in my head. I don't have... I get the New York Times Sunday paper every Sunday, and I fucking love it. It's like my favorite thing to do is sit and read, and I just... I rarely have time to take the time. So what I do is I save the favorite aspects of the paper until I'm like I'm, in, I'm on a mini vacation this weekend. So yesterday I read three of the New York Times book reviews. I saved the, the New York Times magazine insert because they're small and they're easy to carry on a plane, or I can just sit and take them. Well, this... I read this article by this author who I didn't know before and I fucking love discovering new authors and her name is Ayana Mathis mm. I actually reached out to her agent to write to her saying how much I loved what she wrote and they're doing an, um, an installment of a series on American literature and faith in this mm. book review section and hers is called Imprinted by Belief Forgiveness and what she's doing is tracking the concept of forgiveness across literature, including the Bible. Mm-hmm. And a, 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 a part of what she was talking about around forgiveness, talking about the multiple vantage points of it, in, particularly in Christian writing, she was saying, um, and I'm going I'm to read it for a second. She said, in other words, the, this multitude of vantage points, even contradictions, are not obstacles to be overcome in order to arrive at a single distilled truth. There is wisdom in the accumulation and juxtaposition of biblical narratives. They are choral, kinetic, not fixed. They invite reinterpretation, reengagement. Forgiveness involves striving to find new meanings inside older ones, to uncover what we've overlooked, to revise inadequate and injured conceptions. Forgiveness is not a single act or event, but a process. Mm-hmm. To me, is so. I feel like the lesson maybe is authentic is not a single act. It's mm-hmm. a process. Or trying to, to, to live into our authenticity is a process. But I, can't, I feel like I need some help in that. In... Be, like attempting to be authentic and attempting not to indict myself when I'm not like holding space for 40 people and, and talking like this. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think the most basic metaphor that we often hear, particularly around this kind of work, um, people talk about the hats they wear, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and if I'm understanding you correctly, you're you're coming up against a sort of existential question around how you what hats you choose to wear and when and what it says about you. Is that in effect, what I'm hearing? Close. Not quite what it says about me, but what it says to myself. Like, being in right relationship with with myself and the earth, and quite frankly, with my father. And so, mm-hmm. am I... And I appreciate you calling it an existential question, because it's not an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. It's just a wondering that mm-hmm. I, I think had always been there, but it wasn't until my friend said... The you on your pod is not the you who I just sat in a two-hour meeting with presenting equity as praxis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like my one of my mentors used to always tell us back in starting back in high school when I met him. Um, he would always say, you know, there's a time and a place for everything, right? Um, since you mentioned the Bible, right? The Bible talks about a season for everything. Yep. 
those sorts of terms. When, so when I talk about adaptability, versatility, time and a place, season, does that, do those concepts resonate with you or is there something even in that that you're still struggling with? It's, it's a great question. I think, I think two things. One, I'm definitely not talking about like, I think all of us, and maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of people who I know act differently when they're with their family. Not, I don't mean they're like, like a, a partner and their children, but I mean like what their uncles and their aunts or whatever, mm-hmm. than they do with the crew that they're closest with. Right. Like mm-hmm. I get that. Like my family doesn't understand what the hell I do, what I'm about, like all those things. I get that. I don't mean quite that. I, as thinking about the words, versatility, adaptability, like I think about it in terms of surviving. Mm-hmm. So I cannot hold space with even an internal team or a, t- take a, you know, a 30 person group or a hundred person group where I'm trying to get them from point A to point B to understand, to, to move the needle a little bit on, on, on justice. Mm-hmm. If I'm showing up with like, man, you fucking white people are killing me today. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't get them there. And so mm-hmm. I, and if I did, in terms of survive, survivability, I think I made up a word. I don't know if that's a word. I wouldn't have a fucking job. Mm-hmm. And previous to where I am today, I would be physically hurt in spaces if I had that level of authentic showing up saying, um, you're racist as fuck today and I can't fucking handle that shit. Right, mm-hmm. which is that's that's authentic. Mm-hmm. Is it inauthentic to say? I hear what you're saying. I'm wondering if we can unpack. I'm curious about blah blah blah. You know the work that mm-hmm. we do to hold space to help people, to help us create safer spaces, as as our mentor Leticia Nieto invites us to think about. Right mm-hmm. to to create the conditions for us to eventually be able to show up as like that someone can receive. I have no. Um, doubt in my mind because this is about being grounded in a relationship I have no doubt in my mind that if Ginny and I were in a room talking and she said some shit and I would say man that is some fucking white shit that she would not curl into a fetal position do fragile tears and and indict me for you know not holding space for her because that's relationship right that like we can't have those relationships right out of the gate when we're standing in front of a group of people like and I, and I get that. And I still think we've got some accountability on the authenticity scale. I just don't know where it, what it is. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know what it is. But that I'm not, it's not felling me. I'm not uh, um, torn up about it. Sure. I, I was just very grateful when my friend said it so clearly. Who is this versus who is that? And what does that mean? On top of just reading this beautiful essay by this person and talking about a concept that is not fixed, that it is a process. And so, I don't know. I think what we talked about what our next season of Dive Injustice will be. And we're talking about, can it be shades of love? And mm-hmm. there was something also clunking around my head of like, and I don't mean to make it egotistical, but like shades of Shandine. What are the shades of me and what does that ask of myself? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's really interesting to think about. So that's, oh, that's where I am. Like, 
things are good. I'm happy. I am. I could use a, another contractor too to bring in some more money, but I again, I'm trying to lean into what Gabe said, not trying to think scarcity, but um, I'm very happy right now. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's also okay to say what we're scared of. Um, mm-hmm. So this may make the plot. It may not. This may be mortifying what I'm going to say next, but I, I'm dating someone new, as I said on the last one, mm-hmm. and he actually mentioned that he was listening to the pod, and I almost, like, I didn't say anything in the moment, but later I was like, holy fuck, like, what I say on the pod is shit that a, a person I'm dating wouldn't know until the next, like, five or six months, right? Like, they're not, like, mm-hmm. they're, they're looking behind the curtain way too fucking soon, like, mm-hmm. and I kind of panicked, and I and I messaged him saying, like, hey, I'm not saying don't listen to the pod. And I'm just like, I'm not like, <laughs> and his response was so fucking kind. Right. It was, mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought about that. Like that totally makes sense. If you want me to not listen, that's fine. And I was like, no, no, I just, just give me the chance to explain if what I say is fucking offensive to you. And, mm-hmm. and his beautiful response back was like, well, and give me a chance to actually, um, I, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but it was around like, and if I didn't understand where you were coming from, maybe mm-hmm. like I have responsibility around what I was maybe even borderline offended around. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can't even live our lives because this is public as we're trying to do this. And it has an impact of like what it means to show up as your fullest self at all ways publicly has an impact everywhere we go. My sense of allegiance to this culture, right? Had me saying shit that got me in a lot of trouble. Fuck yeah. I've been kicked out of every educational institution I've ever been in for that reason. Like, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. single one. Yeah. And, and I have so. I have a PhD, so that's a lot. That says a lot. That's a lot school. of institutions. <laughs> <laughs> also, elementary, middle, and high. Like, mm-hmm. there hasn't All been the a way through. one. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy making if you're one of a few or the only in a space because you start to ask, or I'll speak for myself, I start to ask myself, am I missing something? Am I off? Am I wrong? Yeah, it's gaslighting. Plus, yeah, yeah. why isn't everyone walking out the f- with me? Only one yeah, time yeah, yeah. that I have one of my just beloveds, like he was like, if you're kicking her out, then you're kicking me out too. And like mm-hmm. they all joined together and that was the one mm-hmm. time we were able to interrupt one of them. But in general, you're just by your fucking self. Yeah. You know, maybe something's wrong with me. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah, which reminds me of the other thing that happens. You end up saying something because you can't not say something. And I'm thinking about this world we live in now with Zoom, where people will then chat me to say, thanks for saying that. And I'm like, fuck you. Right. It's the equivalent to being in an in-person meeting. The meeting's over. You say something, whatever. You put truth in the room. You're walking to your fucking car, and they come up, and they're like, hey, I agreed with you. Your fucking whisper to me does not fucking help me. Like, If you can't fucking say in the room, you are not my friend in this fucking moment. In that little private Zoom chat, it's the same fucking thing. Like, really appreciate what you said. Shut the fuck up. Come off mute. And then you feel terrible, because then you're like, well, their positional authority... They're probably scared and they're just trying to be nice and then it's a fucking shit show in your head when we come back we are going to be joined by the brilliant loving caring bigger than life personality of jenny mcginn 
We are so excited to welcome her into this space. So excited to have her. It only took three seasons. I'm not complaining, though, because we love her. Oh, yeah, I'm complaining. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back. Shandine and I are super excited to welcome Jenny McGinn, who has forever been at the helm of the Center for Whole Communities which is one of our um, co-sponsors for the pod. I have had the pleasure of knowing Jenny now for well over a decade, and um, she was instrumental in giving me the sort of space that I needed in order to really sink into the sort of work that I'm doing to this day. And so there's a huge debt I feel like I'll forever owe this woman, and um, I'm so thankful to have her on the show with us today. Jenny is a mom, an artist, and a longtime career nonprofit leader, um, deeply involved in the work of social and organizational change and in building partnerships across lines of power and privilege. She has a profound interest in how change happens from the level of individual transformation through the level of entire communities or systems. And it is this process of change that she seeks to continue to study and facilitate in her leadership at whole communities. Previously, Jenny served as president of Bioneers, a national nonprofit dedicated to disseminating practical and visionary solutions for restoring Earth's ecosystems and healing human communities. While at Bioneers, She and her colleagues greatly expanded the reach of its programs by launching satellite conferences and building partnerships in cities around the country, creating access for many who would not have otherwise had it. Cultivating practices that support whole communities, lowercase intended, and bringing those practices into our daily lives is the focus of our current work. Through whole thinking and practice, um, we're able to stay present make better decisions and act on behalf of the whole as we go about our work in organizations and in movements. Jenny facilitates and consults on organizational change around the country while using whole thinking practices and the tools she and her colleagues have developed at the Center for Whole Communities. As I've said, I've, I've known Jenny for over a decade and I'll never forget my very first time coming to Vermont, coming out of Flint, not realizing what Vermont was <laughs> and what it meant to come to Vermont, um, feeling really out of place, really feeling like questioning whether I belonged. Um, I must have been in my late 20s, early 30s, and um, yeah, really feeling like, yeah, maybe this work isn't for me. And Jenny, it was your hospitality 
your willingness to really make space for me to share what was leaving me feeling so alienated and doing everything you could to assure me in multiple ways that I belonged, including making sure I had some comfort food <laughs> when I had been eating vegetarian with everybody else for several days and thought I was going to lose my fucking mind. Um, <laughs> and you've been consistently able and willing to not just do that for me, but I've seen you do that for any and everyone that you've mm -hmm. encountered. Um, and that's that, that sort of embodiment of both processing ability, hospitality, commitment to justice, self-examination. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but you've always been one of my favorite people. I love you to death, and I'm so happy you are here with me today and with Shandine and I today. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doma. It's really great to be here with you and Shandine in this way. And uh, yeah, I love you too. And so grateful to have a little bit of time to unpack uh, what you've been covering in this episode, in this season and mm -hmm. the seasons leading up to this. I've been listening. I'm an avid listener. And as I was saying a few minutes ago, when we were just getting on um, together was that, you know, there are times when I have to pause it and come back. Um, what you all are doing, I, I feel like is a gift in, in its authenticity and a gift in, um, in challenging, uh, and as a white woman, for me, getting on, listening, that there are times when it's like, oh, yeah, you think you got it wired. Uh-uh. <laughs> What's going on in response to what you're hearing? And how, so it's been a gift in terms of my own practice and, you know, be, continuing to be aware of, of the things that I still have work to do around. So I'm grateful for you both. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, I do what I can. Um, and Shandine is here to support me in doing that. And it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish at some point our listeners could see our faces in this uh, moment of uh -huh. pure insanity. Hmm. I also think it's important to reflect back, um, Jenny, when the three of us were talking about this pod a long time ago, and we had our first couple initial thoughts, and we were talking about, like, who is our audience? And who is it? Who are we imagining is in the room listening and what are they feeling like and what it, like how are they experiencing that? And I loved that conversation because I was I was remembering um, being in like a Native American student union uh, space in in college or a Mecha meeting and a white person walking in. And you, if they were in relationship with us, they were sitting in the back waiting, listening, waiting to their role, or they were in there, you know, taking up space and it was awful. And we talked about like, what should that, what does this feel like for a white person to come in and listen? And what is their role mm -hmm. in that? Yeah. And you asked some really powerful questions about unpacking that for us, um, which I thought, so I don't know, I just think it's important for our listeners to know that like, You've been supporting and tracking the genesis of this um, from the very beginning, which I just think is incredible. Mm -hmm. So I'm super grateful. Mm -hmm. A journey for sure, y'all. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering about your, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on, and particularly I felt like it was such a good fit for this season. I feel like you've sat in this middle space for years in which you've 
not only been a client to Big Green, I think about things like the Nature Conservancy, right, or some of the bigger philanthropy um, organizations in Vermont. Um, but you've also been at the helm and responsible for the livelihoods of not just yourself, but other people, right? And you've always demonstrated great care about making sure that people were taken care of in your circle, right? You, I've always felt that from you. Um, but given that this season, we're so focused on like our values versus our pocketbooks and how those two things interact, overlap, where the tensions are, et cetera. I was really excited to get you here because I feel like you're one of the, the only guests we've had this season who's been at the helm of leading a nonprofit while simultaneously um, tending to and working with the needs of these other organizations. And so I just wanted you to take a moment and speak to what that has felt like for you and some of the things that have come up for you along the way. Yeah, thanks, Doma. Um, I was thinking about, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what what is it that I, what what's important to say in relationship to the content of the season. And, um, you know, when I look back to when I first arrived at Whole Communities and then also, you know, looking further back to my time at Bioneers, so often um, organizations that are white-led, um, organizations that have the relationships either to major donors, philanthropy, other sources of income, sometimes it's personal wealth, and have the capacity, the education, and the networks to to launch something, right? To envision and launch something. And I don't mean to diminish what it takes to launch this, you know, whether it's Bioneers or Center for Whole Communities, um, and I think many other organizations. But what often, especially over the last 15 years, 20 years, as we've started to become more aware of how white the spaces that are focused on environmental community health are. A lot of these, organ particularly in the environmental space, these organizations are funded by, run by, and dominated by white folks. Um, and as we began to expand to include folks of color, um, BIPOC folks in the conversation, and to, to try and create space, you know, for those voices to learn, you know, we move very quickly into a very extractive practice of, um, you know, inviting in and, you know, I can't speak to what that experience was like for, for the many folks who got brought into spaces, whether it was a, a conference like Bioneers where, you know, the, they don't pay their, they don't pay uh, an honorarium. They pay, they take really good care of people, you know, but it's different for some people to show up in that space than others. The burden is different. Um, so, you know, I left, when I left there and went to whole communities, I was interested in like, how, how is it that we um, understand that the value and the, the, the wisdom and the, the depth of the work that we're doing is, is in many ways being built on the backs of um, the black indigenous people of color who are willing to step into the space with us and, and, and be in relationship with us so that we can learn, grow and do better. Um, so, you know, when you talk about 
my work there. I remember first arriving and what folks got paid to come for a whole week uh, um, to co-facilitate at uh, Center for mm-hmm. Whole Communities. And it was, it, I don't want to say it was chump change. I guess I'm saying it was chump change. <laughs> it was a very small amount of money. And uh, that, you know, the exchange was, oh, but it's a beautiful place. We have, you know, healthy food. It's going to be wonderful. We love you. The, and, and all those things were true. But what was also true is that, you know, we were not compensating folks for the wisdom that they were bringing. And in many ways, we're building our, our uh, credibility, building our relationships, building our programs and on, on that wisdom through the, the partnership of folks who showed up and were, were offering their experience. So, you know, it, I, I feel like I'm still working with trying to understand how do we not keep recreating that wheel of um, extraction and, and also survive as an organization. And I think we have stayed small, we have stayed lean in part because we've been unwilling to, um, well, I'll, I'll, I have been unwilling and I think our collective, which, you know, we just transitioned to a collective recently, but we've been unwilling to sacrifice our commitment to centering relationship to compensating folks as well as we can, to prioritizing those who are doing the work and the work itself over the institution. And it, I feel like it's, you know, we're still navigating it. We're still trying to understand how to do that. And it's not easy in the nonprofit industrial complex, frankly, to, um, to have an organization that is well-resourced without sacrificing some of the values that we were all very committed to. Well, part of it too is what's the alternative? What's the alternative? So, if there's value add in trying something new, like moving to elective, it's a collective. Excuse me. If it's, there's value add in, like, okay, we didn't pay them enough, but we still need to, and we don't want to um, exploit wisdom that we need, but we don't want to sit and do nothing. We don't, like all of these factors are in place, and so one of my one of my questions is like, what is I think it's twofold, so there, it's a companion question. What is the current biggest challenge in that arena that you feel is pushing on your own internal integrity mm. and the, the um, matching question, what's your latest big win in this arena navigating this? I'm so much uh, more comfortable talking about the challenges. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> you know, when you said big win, it sort of took me. Uh, I think, you know, what what we're doing now and, and all, you know, my current situation is as we as a team decided and it took us a couple of years of going through transition and like, are we going to bring in a new executive director? What How's this going to work? Um, and yet we wanted to keep there, there are very rare spaces, and I, you, you all have talked about some of your teams that you work with, where you have the kind of relationship and trust that you get to actually really dig in and do the work together in ways that are meaningful to, to us as humans. And I don't, I'm not interested in giving that up, and I think that's true for our team. So rather than stick with, you know, rather than sunset, which was one of the uh, options on the table, 
we decided we're going to try this collective model. And so we're in the process of working on that governance. And I think the, you know, the barriers to doing that are, that takes time and effort. So, you know, for the last many years, we, you know, we have clients like, you know, and we, we call them partners, whether it, you know, to do the work that we're doing. So we're consulting, but we're also recognizing that in that those relationships were learning and changing too. So we, we have contract work, we have some grants and it's been a churn of work, 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 you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of hours, a lot of commitment. Um, and such that it's very hard to do the sort of transformative internal work that, um, that it would take to transition from a traditional top-down executive director model into a more collective model. So we, all decided to take a risk together and step into that. And that means we all are, you know, the question about income resourcing is on the table. We don't know. And we, we created space. We said no to new contracts um, and we've been focused on our own work. We've raised just enough money to get us through till March. And, um, and our hope is that we get the governance model up and running and, and we open up for work um, with a new compensation framework, a new way of navigating next year. But it could also, you know, it could, it could go either way. We could open up and things could go well or, or it might not. Um, but so I would say the barriers are money, resources, having foundations um, and donors willing to support you when you're experimenting and trying something new. We say we want to disrupt the system, right? We say we want new ways of working. Um, but in order to do that, we've got to stop. We've got to pause and we've got to stop, st- you know, get off the hamster wheel of production and this contract after this contract after this contract in order to give the time and attention to how it is we want to create something different. Um, so that's, you know, two things, that's the challenge, but that's also the win is that we're in it now. You know, we, it took us a year. We, we met as a team in, uh, this summer and basically we're in it. We've got a new compensation model that we're going to be testing out over the next six months to a year. Um, we have a board meeting coming up where we'll talk about governance. So it's, we're trying to both do the work internally. And that's true for this governance question, but it's also true for how we are with each other and our, our continued learning. Then we take that experience and that wisdom that we have garnered, I would say over, you know, more than a decade, most of us working together into our relationships with our partners and the organizations and the communities that we work with. So it's right now we're in the challenge and the win. And, um, my salary ends as of December 31st. And I don't know, we'll see, depending on how things evolve. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. And I'm a little nervous, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but I'm nervous about it. But I also have to remind myself, like, you know, I have resources, I've not been dropped on my ass so far. I have a lot of privilege. Um, So trying to navigate how, how real is the fear or how real is the potential um, for me to be homeless or it's very unlikely, but it's amazing how existential the fear can feel. 
So I've been mm-hmm. actively, and I think we all are, trying to work with what does it mean to take that risk. And damn it, I really would love to see more more folks supporting groups like ours who are wanting to and needing to take a risk and then learn from us. Give us give us some support and and let us help us evolve a new way of navigating this stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it formulaic for you yet in terms of when you decide to really push people or push organizations to do more faster? Is it, do you go off of your gut and decide, you know, when it's time to push and when it's time to let it slide? I'm wondering over the years of doing this work, what has, how would you describe your approach to the push and the pull? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, our colleague Kavitha recently was referring to another white facilitator as the white whisperer. (laughs) 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 And I, Uh I, it really cracked me up. Um, And I think actually that came from uh, hearing Adrian Marie Brown use that for this particular person. And, Mm. you know, there, there is this weird thing as a white woman doing this work who often is in those calls, those conversations with white leaders um, in the background and trying to be in relationship. And what I'm going to say in this, as you think about this next season where you're, where you're leaning into love, whatever that is going to look like. Um, I mean, I think the truth is I really love people and, and I have been and will be again, that white woman who fucks up and who says a thing or misses a thing or, Mm -hmm or doesn't, doesn't, doesn't see. Mm-hmm. And it's so in my own experience that I can't do what I hear you calling for. You know, the, it's, and one of the helpful things about hearing you both express what it's like to be in that situation, it, it, it gives me, you know, it's like, okay, take a breath and keep showing up. I, I have been that person. I will be that person. So there is, I have a quality of uh, empathy and understanding around someone who may be a very good person who really wants to do the right thing and just can't see it, mm. just isn't able to see it. And I also know that that's work that I'm here to do and that I want to be sure that I'm showing up to do that kind of work. Um and hopefully doing it so that some of my colleagues don't have to do it. Um, but, you know, in terms of approach, it's relational. I, and, and I try, you know, I try to tell the truth. And I, and I also try to use my own experience and, uh, and relate to folks through my own experience. Um, but I also feel fierce about change has to happen. And, and, and for me, change is the fundamental thing. 
And, you know, I think change is a fundamental thing for me. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about is belonging. We all want to belong, right? We want to be a part of something. We want to feel um, connected. And I think as we're navigating racial injustice and trying to learn how to, how to upend some of the structures that perpetuate that harm and the behaviors that do it, like there is this difficulty of like, where do I belong? And, and so some of the tensions that emerge out of that um, trigger us at our very being, at our very core. So, you know, I, I feel like I hope my approach is one that is fierce, but also understands that there are humans navigating this. Um, and they're doing it with sometimes with skill, sometimes without. Um, and as long as I feel like, and Delma, you've heard me say this, as long as I feel like somebody's heart and intention is really in the right place, I'm willing. Mm -hmm. If I feel that, I'm really willing to keep showing up. Mm -hmm. I have two questions. One is a dumb question and may not make <laughs> the cut. And one is a, a legit question. So forgive the dumb question for a moment. I have a um, very amazing brother, uh, Scott, who is the person who always was like, who I didn't have to send a, a, a secret message to saying, fucking help me out, right? He was always in the front, always ready. Um, mm. I never asked him, which is why maybe I want to ask you, the cost for us on our bodies when we have to step in. You know, your heart rate goes up. Well, I'll speak for me. My, my heart starts to pound. I start to sweat. I start getting scared. I, I'm, and, and, it's, and I've learned that is my body saying, you are going to be unsafe in this moment when you're about to say the thing you're going to say. It is the earth saying, like, don't not say it, but fucking protect yourself. I have never thought to ask Scott, and I'm never, like, until this moment, I'm asking you, what goes through a white person's body and mind when they have to step in or they, they not have to, it is, um, their calling to attempt to step in and say something and carry this, um, responsibility so that the folks who are both like, so that the Delma and the Shandines of the world don't have to all the time. It's yeah. just like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm used to that. I talk to white people no, all the time. Like, no. it's my thing, it's my jam, I got it. Or is it like, fuck, and then your body's on fire? Well, I think I have similar physiologic responses that you're describing that you have. Um, and and then I layer on top of that to, you know, Delma and I have had a chance to, sometimes Delma has held space for me when I'm like struggling like what I know is that I don't need to bring how hard it is for me as a white person doing this work to y'all, right? Yeah. Um, but it is, it's hard. And, you know, as much, uh, you know, oftentimes I feel like I'm sort of in between the belonging. I don't feel like I totally belong with some of my white brothers and sisters, especially, you know, in a client relationship. I, I feel like I'm in a particular role that that is laborful <laughs> yeah. for me. And I also recognize I'm not, you know, I'm not BIPOC I'm, yeah. and I'm, I'm not coming at, that's not my experience. So um, navigating this question of belonging, wanting to be seen, wanting to be loved, wanting to belong. Um, and, and in the midst of showing up to do what needs to be done, it's not easy. 
but it does, I feel like I'm deeply committed to it. I do a lot of things. I, I run, I do meditation. I do different. I know, Delma, you wouldn't want to do the meditation too much or too often with me. <laughs> but I mean, that sitting practice and breathing practice. And um, those are the things that strengthen me and allow me to, in that moment when my hands are sweaty and my heart is pounding and I know I need, I need to say the thing, like I can take a few deep breaths and I'm, I'm aware of what's happening in my body and I, and I say it anyway. There's a woman uh, who I met at Bioneers and she's a shrimper in Texas and she fought for most of plastics. Her name is Diane Wilson. And she taught me, she said, you know, honey, she said, when you feel the fear, that's a good sign. She said, feel the fear and head straight for it. Head straight for it. And so when I'm in a room and my heart starts to pound and I know something's up, I take it as, okay, here you go. It's, it's time. It's time. Yeah, I, I think I really, really appreciate the way you opened in answering the question, which is like, I'm not, it's not my job to sit here and process how hard it is with me with the two of you. But I do think there's a moment or a lesson of the solidarity that matters in yeah. whoever is holding that. And so um, I hope our listeners get and understand that I, I wasn't, we weren't trying to create the space for like, oh, these like poor white people who are doing this struggle just the same way. Right. So I just want to make sure that's clear. Yeah. But I do, I do believe there's some solidarity in that experience as we're all like in this work together. Mm-hmm. You, so that in my mind was a dumb question, but your answer was phenomenal. So now I'm disagreeing with myself. The second question I wanted to ask you, you had said, change is the fundamental thing you in your previous work and you in your current work with cwc is does a lot of work with the big greens what is it that they don't fucking get that you (laughs) in your world are trying to get them to see in the context of change it's usually you have individuals that do get it and then they come up against what y'all have been talking about all season, which is how hard do I push? I need this job. I have three kids getting ready to go to college. Um, yeah, how, how hard do I push? And so folks are constantly making decisions about where to compromise. When, when, it, when do they feel like they're, they're able to stay in integrity and get some work done? And often it's below the radar while we're waiting for the system to change. And I think there's a, um, there's a thing that Biocomalafe talks about. He talks about that the system isn't, you know, that essentially we are the system, right? The system is a consequence of our separation from each other. 100%. So if we have, as, as we're working with these folks, the way that I navigate that is by working with the individuals who we come in contact with, um, by showing up as fully and with as much respect and care as I can, and also truth and and calling folks in and 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 you know being fierce about what is needed. So in terms of what they need to get, I think I think more practice time. I think space. I think um, what does it mean to instead of being so focused on a, a deliverable that is tangible? If I hear the word concrete outcomes or that's a phrase concrete outcomes one more time it, you know the reality is they need to understand that alongside of the the work that's going to be structural and that's going to be more tangible 
that we need individuals who have the capacity to do it, who have the capacity to take the risks that are necessary, who have the capacity to speak truth to, to manage up, you know, who are willing and able to take the risks. And I, and I wonder, like, this is where whole communities resonate. It's why I've been at this work for a while. We can't do that alone. We can't take risks like that solo. So the other thing we need in those spaces is a, you know, a community of folks who are committed to change, committed to moving the needle, whatever that looks like. And, and oh, by the way, as we do this, we're going to love each other, we're going to learn from each other, and we're going to transform ourselves in the process. And that's the, you know, to me, that's the whole point. And then, you know, critical mass, who knows what it takes when you have you know, an opportunity for something to shift as a result of enough people with enough commitment and feeling enough support to risk. Most of the spaces I'm navigating, most of the work I'm in, white women are like the majority of the population in any given group. Yeah. What am I going to say about that? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> but all of the conversations these days, and this is something Shandine and I have talked about a lot, like we haven't learned collectively how to talk about both race and gender at the same time. I'm wondering if there are any lessons, any takeaways from you and I having some of those intersectional conversations over mm-hmm. the years. <sighs> This is hard to answer because I feel like what's what's tough about this is um, there has to be enough trust, like for you and I to be able to, for me mm-hmm. to even be able to say out loud what it's feeling like to be a woman and feel like that's not me as a white woman taking uh, energy, space, or centrality away from your experience as a black man. Mm-hmm. And never mind if it's with a woman of color, which I think then complicates it that much further. Mm-hmm. Like just shut the fuck up as you know so i think i think you know there has to be a level of trust and relationship as you're saying but i think we also need to take risks and by we i'm just i'm speaking about women white women to keep pointing it out and keep raising it as we're experiencing it um and you know i think for uh, you and i it's been a gift to enter that space with you and to learn together and to hold, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to be able to talk about, um, yes, raises at the center and, uh, women who are navigating patriarchy and navigating whatever they've had to do or still experience in terms of gendered, uh, stuff. And, and, and a lot for a lot of women in almost every space I'm in, two out of three women have experienced some sort of gendered violence. So that's real. So you've got white women out there who have who are survivors who are experience have experienced gender violence in a number of different ways and yet in, in spaces where we're navigating racial equity that absolutely has to take a bit of a back seat. But we're human beings, we have bodies, we get triggered mm-hmm. and and that stuff is alive. So I do think it's an area that we need to keep getting better at like and and being exploring more and I think, you know, there's Doing that in caucus and in other kinds of affinity spaces can be really helpful for, for that. But I feel like it's we got a ways to go, man. We had an amazing window into what it is you do and have done through your life on what it means to being to, like I'm looking down at my notes because it says change is the fundamental thing. Belonging is the fundamental goal. It's hard work. 
It's exhausting work. It's fulfilling work. It's, and you know what I'm about to ask. (laughs) Where's your petty? I knew it was coming. Where's your petty? You are a mover and a shaker and a beautiful one. You cannot possibly have this level of perfection in every area of your work when you are fucking tired and mad or frustrated or whatever. Where's the other shade of Jenny that comes up? Mm. What does that look like? If you don't tell, I will. (laughs) (laughs) I think when I'm petty, I I just feel um, when I go to petty, I'm trying to think of a recent experience it's usually when i feel hurt you know when something happens and i don't feel feel seen i feel invisible and then i get pissed and and what i am not what i haven't developed the skill to do consistently sometimes i do it but consistently is to let that show some people see it people close to me will see it um but uh, yeah, petty looks like me feeling like I'm the only one who can get it done. You know, it's that kind of self-righteous bullshit. Um, and it usually lasts a little bit. <laughs> um, Hang on. Yeah. I, do, I, think, I think our listeners are going to want to know, what does little bit mean? Like it, it takes, it can take days. It depends on how close the, the, like if it's somebody who I'm close with and, and I feel like they've dissed me or, or, or aren't appreciating or seeing or valuing what I'm bringing. Like if I feel sidelined, um, it takes me some days if it's, you know, and it's, if it's somebody that we're working with, it's in some ways to be expected. And oftentimes I was thinking about this with gen- gender Delma you know, mm-hmm. and and when the two of you were talking earlier about um, having to be the ones to say the thing and looking at your white colleagues and, you know, what I know is like, I can say something until I'm blue in the face and then you say it mm-hmm. or Muhammad says it mm-hmm. and folks are like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Um, yeah, but it was, as I was listening to you all talking about that, I was just thinking that, that sometimes it's more skillful and, and when your team is in, if you're, if you're together and you know that it's the right thing for Delma or for someone Mm -hmm. else to say the thing, Mm -hmm. but not to get hung out to dry, like you you all were talking about, but anyway, Mm -hmm. I'll stop there. Mm -hmm. Jenny, such a pleasure to have you. Oh, y'all, so, so good to talk and, and, uh, really appreciate the invitation and deeply appreciate the work that you're doing out in the world and the way that you're showing up in this, uh, in this podcast is a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Dive in Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on Center for Whole Communities, find us at Whole Communities. 
For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Original music throughout today's episode created by Dana and Alden. Check out their debut album, Brothers on Spotify. Jenny Cotting helps us out with marketing and promotions. Thank you all so much. Without your effort, this show would not be possible.